Hello and welcome to Fantastic History. I'm Sarah. And I'm Clay. We're a husband and wife duo who enjoy telling each other about amazing events, people, and mysteries throughout history. First of all, and most importantly, Happy Halloween. Happy and Halloween. Blessed Samhain. If you're listening to this episode the day it posts, then it is the most wonderful day of the year. And I hope all you guys and ghouls have a spooktacular time. I'll be uh, dressed as Barbie today. So I know I'll be having a baller time. Yeah, I'll be eating some candy. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, Barbie has a great day every day. But Ken only has a great day if Barbie looks at him. That's that's what I hear. Yeah. But I'm not here to talk about Barbie, although I do wish I had thought about that before. Should I do a Barbie episode? I mean, why not? Mm, I do love Barbie. Today, this episode is a festive one. Uh, Based on a list I got from Esquire, of all places, called 13 Real Life Horror Stories. Oh, It was compiled by Matt Miller and Lauren Crank, and they only featured stories that were reported in local newspapers. Okay. So regardless of your belief in the supernatural, Clay, Mm -hmm. these stories were at least credible enough to be printed. Only the best, most authentic Mm -hmm. content gets put it in print media. Hey, man, so few people are reading it these days. Like, you got to really think about the price of ink here, okay? It's very true. I, I, I've i learned so much about Harry and Meghan just by standing in the um, the line at my grocery store and looking at, like, the National Enquirer. That's not a newspaper. That's a magazine. That's not a local newspaper at all. And also, listeners, he doesn't know anything about Harry and Meghan. He's lying, that's not true. It's a lie. He knows nothing. I know everything. <laughs> okay. But either way, I'm not going to have enough time to cover all 13 of them. But, <laughs> but there will be a link to the list in the show notes with the rest of my references. So certainly feel free to check that out to see the ones that I skipped. Okay. First up is the Enfield Monster from Enfield, Illinois in 1973. In April of that year, -year 50-year-old antique dealer Henry McDaniel told authorities that he'd returned home late on a Wednesday night and started settling down when he heard scratching at his front door. When he looked out, he saw what could only be described as a monster. Mm. He said it had three legs on it, a short body, two little short arms, and two pink eyes as big as flashlights. It stood four and a half to five feet tall and was grayish colored. It was trying to get in the house. Ooh. Yeah. Creepy. Yeah. Naturally, he slammed the door and went for his gun. According to him, when he opened the door again, the monster had run about 12 feet from the house. But McDaniel was still able to get off four shots and was certain at least one of them reached its target. Upon being shot, the monster hissed like a wildcat and disappeared into the nearby bushes. Okay. Yeah. One little note about the story that I really love was that he told the paper that he knew it wasn't a dog because he obviously knows what dogs look like. Duh. Right. But he also knew for sure it wasn't a kangaroo because he'd once lived in Australia and had a pet kangaroo. 
<laughs> well, <laughs> kangaroo. Uh-huh. Really? Where was this again? Illinois. Illinois. There's not yeah. a lot of kangaroos in Illinois. There are not. Like, I mean, what are the chances of there being a wild kangaroo? Like, and this is southeastern Illinois, too, which I think is where Chicago is, like, in the southeastern part of Illinois, right? Like, yeah. not a lot of kangaroos running around. Like, I've never had a pet kangaroo, and I am still confident in saying this was not a kangaroo. Like, what are we talking about here? This was a five-appendaged creature. Mm-hmm. That's weird. Yeah, I don't know, man. Anyway, so after shooting the creature, McDaniel then called the state police to come check things out because he was understandably pretty upset about the incident. When they arrived, they found McDaniel to appear rational and sober, but pretty shaken up like you'd expect. They looked around his property and discovered the scratch marks on the door and six toed paw prints in the mud around the house. Ooh. Now, for some reason, McDaniel later talked to some school kids about this, and they said they saw the same creature at the school's athletic fields, but, like, probably take that with a grain of salt. Uh, is that where it got its name? Did they see it on the baseball diamond? Say again? Is that where it got its name? They saw it, like, on the baseball diamond? The infield monster? Ha! <sighs> no. No? Enfield, Illinois. Enfield with an E. Oh, the name of the town. (laughs) When you first said it, I was like, "Is that a is that a baseball player?" It sounds like a nickname for a baseball. The infield monster. Yeah, but it's not infield. It's N N field. Yeah. Next, we have the Hotel De Salto on the Bocata River in Colombia. Okay. Um, this is. Columbia in South America, not Columbia, South Carolina. Right. In case that was not clear somehow. Okay. Trigger warning here for talk of suicide. Because the name of the hotel, Hotel de Salto, literally translates to the jump hotel. Ew. Yeah. This absolutely gorgeous building began as the private residence of its architect, Carlos Arturo Tapias who completed construction and moved in in 1923, so 100 years ago. HBD, girl. It's built directly into the cliffside and overlooks a waterfall, and it is truly stunning. I'll definitely have pictures of the hotel up on the Instagram because, oh my God. Unfortunately, the land was cursed. Oh, darn. I know. So it turns out that back when Spanish colonizers arrived in Colombia in the 1500s, indigenous Musca people used that cliff and the waterfall nearby to jump to their deaths to escape capture, rape, and murder. Legend within the tribe stated that if you jumped off of that cliff rather than hitting the bottom and going splat, you would transform into an eagle and just fly away unharmed. So, Oh, well, that's convenient. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so there's, there's that. Now back to the hotel. After about five years of living there, Carlos decided to dip out and turn the mansion into a hotel in 1928. It was doing big business and hosting lots of like Gatsby-style parties because it's the 1920s. But only for the first two years because, you know, lavish galas were one of the first things to go after the Great Depression hit. Sure. Still, the hotel limped along for another 60 years before finally shuttering its doors in 1990. 
It then sat abandoned until 2011 when work began to convert it into a museum and it reopened to the public in 2013. I'm going to pronounce something that I cannot pronounce here. So it reopened as the Chequendama Falls Museum of Biodiversity and Culture. Okay. Okay, but let's get real because obviously this place is haunted. Obviously? Obviously, duh. It's on cursed land and it's on the jump falls. Like, hello. From its inception as a hotel all the way through its abandoned years, a lot of people came to the Hotel de Salto specifically to end their lives by either jumping off of the cliff or one of the balconies. This was such an effective spot for that sort of thing because the waterfall itself is about 400 feet tall. Mm. Yeah. Not only that, but there was also a murder within the hotel itself, like at least one. I wasn't able to find detailed information without buying an entire book, which didn't really seem worth it for a couple of lines in a single episode. Yeah. But what I do know, according to an article on All That's Interesting, is that the victim was a young socialite who was brutally murdered by the man she was with. The violence was so over the top that it left the wall splattered with her blood. And that brings us to the ghosts, because she's certainly one of them. She's been seen many times looking out of the windows in the room where she was killed. Guests at the hotel also reported seeing apparitions in room 201 and 217 and on the balcony. All of those are supposedly the spirits of people who completed suicide in those locations. And with the balcony specifically, it was a couple who like held hands and jumped off the side together. Romantically spooky. Yeah. So that's nice. Question mark. Uh, I think it's nice. Okay. Folks also heard crying, moaning, walking, knocking, and whispering in empty hallways or rooms that should have been unoccupied. Visitors and employees also frequently reported seeing dark, human-like masses tumbling over the waterfall or the nearby cliffs. In the years the building was abandoned, people hiking nearby would often see lights on in some of the windows, which definitely should not have been a thing, because obviously when they closed, they stopped paying the power bill. Mm -hmm. There are even ghosts along the road leading up to the hotel who are thought to have been killed in mudslides, which happened frequently on that stretch of road. So, yikes. Number three on the list is the Villisca Axe Murder House in Villisca, Iowa. Are you familiar with this case at all? I don't think so. It's a pretty famous one in the true crime community. But for those of you who don't read into that kind of stuff, like fair play to you. The short version is that on the night of June 9th, 1912, all six members of the Moore family and two of their guests were brutally murdered with an axe. Oh, was that the one where they were like uh, it was in the winter? And th- and they couldn't find any footprints leading oh, to Oh, out, out to the barn. No, this is a different one. This was in June of 1912. Oh, that should have been a good <clears> hint. <throat> That's okay. <laughs> so the killer used both the sharp and the blunt sides when he attacked. Mm. And to this day, nobody knows for sure who committed the crime. I do think I've heard of this. I'm sure you have. It's a very, very popular case. Like a lot of podcasts covered it. I think they've probably talked about it on Chaluminati. 
Yeah. That we both listened to. The victims were Josiah and Sarah Moore, their children, Herman, Mary Catherine, Arthur, and Paul, and Mary Catherine's friends, Ina May and Gertrude Stillinger. The children were all between the ages of five and 12. Awful. Awful. Much like the Lizzie Borden house, the Moore's home is currently a bed and breakfast for the morbidly curious and goes for over $400 per night. Ugh. Folks staying there overnight have reported seeing a man roaming the house with an axe and hearing children screaming, which I got to say is an automatic no from me, although it's exactly what you'd expect if you're paying to stay there. Yeah, I, I guess if you stay and you don't hear anything spooky, you would <laughs> feel kind of like you feel a little bummed. Yeah, that was one thing that kind of held me back when we did our visit to the Lizzie Borden house from like staying overnight because we had looked at like there were six of us, five or six of us in the group that went together. So if we had split the cost, like wouldn't have been too bad. But if I slept through the night, I would be so pissed. I'd be like, I know y'all better give me my money back because nobody haunted me. Like, this is bullshit. I'd be so mad. (laughs) Either way, what you probably would not expect if you're visiting this house or staying overnight would be what happened to one of the guests in November of 2014. 37-year-old Robert Larson Jr., who was visiting from Wisconsin, was discovered by his travel companions at around 12.45 in the morning, having stabbed himself in the chest. Oh. What's especially eerie about his timing is that the original Moore family murder was thought to have taken place around 12.45 in the morning. Fortunately, police and rescue arrived in time, and Larson ultimately recovered from the ordeal, but he has never spoken publicly about what happened or why. Wow. Yeah. Next up is a modern day exorcism that truly goes crazy. Normally when I think of exorcism, I'm picturing like the movie The Exorcist. Yeah. Or like something similar with like 1970s vibes. Like that era. Like I'm picturing everything in the house is like sunflower and avocado colored <laughs> is, is the vibe. I, right? I'm sure it's... It's all because of the movie. Probably so. Yeah. Yeah. But this particular story takes place in 2016. Yeah. When 26-year-old Londoner Kennedy Ife seemed to change both drastically and suddenly. It started simply enough with a sore throat and insomnia. But soon he started complaining about the python living inside of him and the voices in his head. He bit his father and threatened to cut off his own penis. This was all within a span of two weeks, so the situation devolved pretty quickly. Things came to a head on August 22nd when Kennedy's older brother Harry called 999 to report that Kennedy was suffering from extreme dehydration. When the paramedics arrived, they found Kennedy tied to a bed with cable ties, rope, and handcuffs. Despite attempts to resuscitate him, he was pronounced dead at 1017 a.m. Kennedy's brother Colin told police at the scene, it's clear that thing was in him. What we believed was a demon because it was not natural. It was clearly trying to kill him. We had to restrain him for himself. It was clear if we didn't restrain him, he could have tried to harm people in our family. 
The Eif family, who are deeply religious, claim that when they prayed over him, the demon would go away, but only for a short period of time. The police even witnessed Collins' attempt to resurrect Kennedy by chanting and praying over the body. An autopsy revealed more than 60 injuries to Kennedy's body. Naturally, all seven members of the family living in the house at the time were arrested and tried for manslaughter, false imprisonment, and causing the death of a vulnerable adult, but they were all found not guilty. How? Right? Yeah, how? I don't know. It's like these are genuinely held religious beliefs and they thought they were helping him. Yeah. So you're all bonkers. Um, Yeah. Well, this is, this is the same type of thing that happens, like that couple that got arrested recently for... Well, it wasn't recently. It was probably within the last 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for starving their, their <gasps> infant by oh. feeding them like um, oat milk right. in a vegan diet. Yeah. And then being like, well, it's our beliefs. They were still held accountable. Yeah. For, I don't know if it was manslaughter or murder, but they got life in prison. Good. If they got life in prison, it would have to be murder. You don't get life for manslaughter. Yeah. But yeah, they deserve to get murder charges for that. Like you are criminally stupid and you have killed your own child. Yeah. Good job. Great. Well, with that in mind, we're going to go to another pretty sad story out of Springville, Utah. On September 27th, 2014, 19 year old Jansen McGee returned home to find his family missing. In searching the house, all of the rooms were empty, but the master bedroom door was closed and locked. He called his grandmother, Valerie Sudweeks, and she came over and helped him break down the door. Inside, they found both of his parents and all three of his siblings dead. While there was no note left behind, Jason... Excuse me. While there was no note left behind, Jansen came across a notebook with a to-do list in his stepfather Benjamin Strack's handwriting. The list included pretty run-of-the-mill tasks like feed the pets and find someone to look after the house. The sort of things you need to remember to do before like a vacation or something. Yeah. Police talked to friends and family of Benjamin and Christy Strack, who revealed that the couple often talked about leaving this world and explained that they were sure there was an apocalypse coming any day now to wipe out all of the evil on the planet. While people assumed they were going to take it in the direction of, like, moving up north, living off the grid, like, normal stuff, it seems the Stracks were actually planning murder-suicide all along for themselves and their three shared children, 14-year-old Benson, 12-year-old Emery, and 11-year-old Zion. According to their autopsies, the Strax used a combination of diphenhydramine and methadone to murder their children. Mm. Benjamin then took himself out with an overdose of heroin. Christy, on the other hand, it was a mix of methadone, delsum, benadryl, and unisom. While searching the house, investigators discovered a plastic sand pail with traces of a yellow-orange liquid inside. When tested, the liquid turned out to be a combination of cherry-flavored methadone, delsum, benadryl, Tylenol, caffeine, unisom, and ibuprofen. Jesus. Elsewhere in the house, they found a trash bag with several empty bottles of nighttime cold and flu medicine, two empty boxes of benadryl, 
and several empty bottles of liquid methadone prescribed to Christy. My God. Yeah. So they just got all these over-the-counter medicines, mixed them together in their kid's little happy sand pail, and made the kids drink it. Yeah. 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 Moving over to the East Coast, I have a story for you out of Auburn, Pennsylvania. In 2015, the Bretschwe family decided to do a little remodeling, which included putting in some modern insulation. Like, pretty normal enough. Like, their family home, I think, was built in, like, 1800. Mm -hmm. So, insulation was not great. Gets pretty cold in Pennsylvania. They started tearing down the walls, only to find that they were already lined, completely lined, with dead animals. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That... You you are right that the 1800s had terrible insulation. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Dead animals is, is, is horrible insulation. Yeah, that's a bad one. The source of the putrid smell that had been filling the house since renovations began turned out to be parcel after parcel of animal parts wrapped in newspapers from the 1930s and 40s, along with half-empty jars of spices. The more walls they took down, the more gruesome discoveries they found. So it was every single wall of the house. Weird. Yeah. Insurance doesn't really cover rotting corpse damage. So they ended up having to completely shoulder the cost of these renovations out of pocket. It didn't take long before they ran out of money and had to set up a GoFundMe page just so they could get all the bodies out. Like they couldn't even afford to get all the bodies out. They ran out of money so fast. In the meantime, the mold and, like, God knows what else that was now filling the house made all six of them incredibly sick. So they also had mounting hospital bills and things. Oh, jeez. And it's not like they could afford to go live somewhere else with all this going on because they have no money. They're spending all the money trying to fix the problem. So what would ever compel someone to stuff dead animals into the walls of their home? Let's think about it. <laughs> so many, so many possibilities. Sure. Well, um, well um, hmm. actually got none. Yeah. Okay. So, well, I'll tell you what the local experts thought. They think that the Breschwees actually uncovered a type of Pennsylvania Dutch magic ritual. So there's an offshoot of Pennsylvania Dutch that practices a form of magic called powwow that combines homeopathic healing Christianity, and folk magic. Yeah. According to the Washington Post, many of the spells deal with the care of livestock, finding water, or the treatment of minor ailments, reflecting the conditions and concerns of early American settlers. But powwow also has within it tradition of darker spells, and even of such things as conjuring demons. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's impossible to know at this point exactly which spell the original owners of the home were trying to cast. Evidence indicates that it was a protection spell, either for someone specific within the family who had been cursed or more generally to keep the house itself safe. Now, I don't mean to magic shame other practitioners, but that is so gross, dude. That is so gross. Just like... Put salt and ground eggshells at the entrances of your house instead, like a normal person. It doesn't have to be that serious. Apparently it did. It was so bad they had to just put raccoon corpses, (sighs) line the house with raccoon corpses. Horrible. 
Yeah, it's really yeah. That's can you imagine if we decided like say we're gonna take down the wall between this room and the dining room, and we open it up and there's just like cow brains or cow like, brains. I thought just you know just an example <laughs> of like Pennsylvania Dutch like farmers they had cows around. I don't know. Uh-huh. Um, I'd be I'd be pretty upset. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be really upset to be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> Especially knowing insurance isn't gonna cover it. What the heck? What am I paying you guys for? Right. They're like, sorry, corpse damage, that's none of my business. Hmm. Yeah. But that's where I'm gonna stop for this episode. Uh I hope these stories thrilled and chilled you and left you ready to face the spookiest day of the year. I'm not I'm not ready now. I'm I'm gonna be terrified. Yeah, you were probably gonna be terrified anyway. Well yeah. That's it's okay, honey. I still love you. Well, I uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna look in our our walls. Yeah, I think we should definitely avoid that, and especially like if we ever move into like an older home, which like, as an aside, my dream is to live in a Victorian manner, suitable for Morticia Adams. Yeah. Um. So we definitely will not be opening up those walls because God knows. God knows. Check for animals in the walls. Don't ask any questions. <laughs> right. So my pro tip for any parents out there listening um, is to tell your kids that they have to leave some candy out tonight for the Halloween witch or she'll put dead animals in their walls. Yeah. And then that way you get the candy. You don't have to steal it. Or the infield monster will get you. (gasps) Yes. The Halloween witch, the infield monster in cahoots. You better be watching your back. You know, the Halloween witch will also... Put dead animals in your walls. If you don't stop what you're doing right now and leave us a five star rating on whatever podcast platform you use. And oh, hey, you, better, you guys better do it. <laughs> That's serious. It's very serious. And in the spirit of the season, when you're done with that, why don't you hop on to Instagram and send a DM to Fantastic H Pod to tell us your favorite scary story. If it's too long for DM, you can always send it via email to fantastichistorypod at gmail.com. Stay spooky, my friends, and happy Halloween. Halloween. <laughs>